So we're going to open up God's Word just now. So if you're able to, please turn in your Bibles to James 5. Dan is going to be reading God's Word from verses 1 to 6. So let's read that together. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Let me just pray for Dan as he comes up. Father God, we thank you for Dan. We thank you for his diligent work in reading through these scriptures and spending time with you and hearing from you and preparing these words we're about to hear. We just pray that you'd create in us a fertile soil that receives your word and allows it to grow. We pray that you'd do that through Dan this evening. So bless us all through the words that he speaks just now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Oh, thank you so much, Chris, for leading us through our evening service, and a really good evening to you all gathered here at 101. A really warm welcome to everyone who's watching in living rooms and gardens around Catrum and maybe further afield on Zoom or on YouTube, where it is you're watching. A really warm welcome to you, and do keep your Bibles open in front of you if you have them on James chapter 5, 1 to 6, as we look at this amazing passage together. But I was uh, watching a documentary uh, the other day, and it was all about the lost treasures of Egypt. And they were showing the tomb of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, whose tomb was discovered about a uh, hundred years or so ago. And inside Tutankhamun's tomb, uh, they were amazed uh, to see about 5,000 treasures belonging to him that were buried with him, covered in gold and precious jewels. I mean, you, you know, kind of just stretch the imagination, ranging from the royal chariot to golden treasure chests, all in his tomb with his coffin covered in gold. There, lying there. You see, it was Egyptian belief, apparently, that uh, the things that you were buried with, you would be able to take into the afterlife. And I think it even led uh, to some pharaohs even telling their servants after they had died uh, to kill themselves and to be buried with them uh, so that they could continue to serve them in the afterlife. It sounds like a bit of a rough gig, that, doesn't it? But that was their belief. And it's certainly an interesting way of looking at possessions. I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? Everything we have now, we can take with us to enjoy forever. 
But is that reality? Is that reality? I mean, you can visit Tutankhamun's tomb today, and when you go there, they showed on the video that his tomb that had all of his treasures in, well, actually the gold that was around all of his tomb, it's all faded now. It's all covered. Parts of it are stripped away. Most of the treasures that he was buried with have actually been stolen over centuries by robbers. And none of it, to my eyes, seemed to make it to the afterlife. And we kind of hear things like that. In our, in our modern Western minds, we hear what pharaohs did and what they believed in Egypt. And, and to, to us, it makes no sense to believe that. It seems illogical, doesn't it? And yet, I think that same view of treasures, of our possessions and what we wish we could do with them, I don't think has changed 3,500 years on. We might not bury our treasures with us in the same way this evening, but deep down, we can tie our identity so much so into what we own and what we have that we hope and we pray more than anything that what we have, we will never lose. I think it's one of our greatest fears in the West of losing what we have. And this evening, James in our passage, if I can put it this way, he's going to eternalize our view on money, our view on wealth, our view on treasures this evening. And he will challenge our cultural view on the value that we put on them. And so as we go through this evening, I've got two points that will hopefully explain our passage and maybe show us what it means for us today. And our first point this evening is this, the wages of injustice, wages of injustice. Our passage this evening in James, I think carries with it some of the strongest warnings in the entire letter so far that we've been going through. The whole tone of this passage that we heard read out to us by Chris is, is one that, I mean, when we've read that, it's quite sobering to read, isn't it? I mean, look with me at the very first verse of our passage, James 5 verse 1. James says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, who's James speaking to here? Is he speaking about all rich people? Is he speaking about some rich people? Uh, what's the context behind what James is meaning when he's writing this? Well, actually, James, in the context of this letter of James that we've been going through, has been letting us know what's going on in our passage earlier. Look with me back in James chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, just a couple of pages back, where James says this, he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to who you belong? And that seems to make sense of what we see in our passage this evening, James chapter 5. James explains how these rich people that are living in the society that these Christians are in, 
that these rich people who are to weep and to wail are those who are exploiting their employees, their, their Christian employees who seem to be working predominantly in the harvest fields. And so what we've got here in our passage, you could say in one sense, is a bit like a, an employment tribunal, if you want to kind of use a modern illustration of it that James uses. James shows this employment tribunal in which God is presiding over as judge. And James explains how these employees have testimonies that they are raising against their employees, these rich people who are exploiting them. The way that we see in our passage, they have failed to pay them for their work. They're failing to pay them their wages, and yet they're living in luxury. James says even at the end of our passage that it maybe has even reached the point of murder for these Christians who are working for them. In verse 6, when it says innocent one, you could say the righteous one. I think that's James's way of referring to Christians who are on the receiving end of this injustice that seems to be going on, that James knows about in this church. And yet, James says, God's employment tribunal, well, it reaches a verdict, he says. It reaches a conclusion, and God gives his verdict on these rich exploiters. And even though it would seem to all the world that they've got away with it, that actually they've even managed to profit from the injustice that they've been carrying out on their employees, well, that actually is not always the case. God sees, James says, God hears, and God will deal with them for the injustice they've committed. And James uses a really strong image. It's actually a really quite horrific image in verse 5, saying that these rich people who have been exploiting and living in extravagance whilst these poor Christians have been exploited, well, they are like cows who are fattening themselves just before they go to be slaughtered. That's what he says they're like. It's a sobering image. And the irony being, as the title of this section trying to draw out, that actually the true wage, James says, that these rich people receive for their injustices is not profit. They do not get to profit from this, as, as though it, that's what it seems like to everyone has happened. No, the true wage of injustice is judgment. God sees, God hears, God will deal. And I hope what that does is it gives us a bit of context into the passage that we're reading, into understanding why James is writing what he's writing to these Christians in the letter of James. The wages of injustice, but secondly, secondly for us this evening, poverty of wealth. Because we might be thinking uh, this evening at this moment, well, it looks like I can switch off this evening. Uh, you know, James isn't talking to me. It doesn't look like uh, he's talking about me. Uh, and even though James is addressing the rich, these exploiters, em employees, you could say, and it's the Christian listening in in the congregation who are being exploited, James puts this in his letter because there is a principle behind wealth, behind money, behind riches 
that James wants us all to understand. He wants us all, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we have, he wants us to understand something about possessions, about treasures, about wealth. And that is the poverty of it. The poverty of wealth. You might have heard of, of an emperor called Emperor Charlemagne. And he was uh, the ruler and emperor of the uh, Carolingian Empire, which was the precursor to what would become known as the Holy Roman Empire. For all of those who were at the introduction to theology session on Saturday morning, um, that's what it kind of grafted into, the Emperor Charlemagne. And the Emperor Charlemagne, similar to the pharaohs that we were looking at at the start of our passage, he is buried with all of his treasures, And actually, 180 or so years after Charlemagne apparently dies, the Emperor Otto finds and discovers Charlemagne's tomb. And he's amazed at what he sees. Not because of the treasures that he sees all around Charlemagne, but because of what he sees Charlemagne doing or rather the position that Charlemagne is. Inside, Otto sees Charlemagne apparently sitting there on his throne with his skeleton remains. And Charlemagne has his crown on his head, on his skull. And on his lap, he has the Gospels open in front of him. And apparently, there's his bony skeleton remain finger lying on the Gospels, pointing at one verse. Mark 8, 36, which says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I mean, this is kind of the main point that James is is trying to get across to us this evening. James is wanting to connect our attitude with wealth and you could say our earthly possessions, and connect that with our attitude of eternity, our perspective of eternity. And we know that this evening because of what James writes immediately after our passage this evening in chapter 5, verse 7. The very next verse, James says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. You could say, be patient, therefore, until the Lord's coming. It's clear James is wanting us to have an eternal, a future perspective as we are reading our passage. And when I say eternal perspective, when I say a future perspective, I mean the understanding that Jesus one day... Jesus, God's king, will return and he will bring about his eternal kingdom for his people who have trusted in his free gift of grace to be with him forever and to bring judgment on those who have rejected that. And James has already shown us in our passage that he points us towards the future by showing us that those who have exploited These employees will not get away with it because God's judgment will come on them. God's God's, uh, judgment will come in the future. And last week, we heard from Andy, didn't we, that he points us to the brevity of life. 
And he pointed us towards James. He writes that our life is like a mist. It, it appears and then it vanishes in the vast comparison of eternity. And so the real question in the context of our passage before, after, and during, as we read our passages, well, how does eternity, how does the future change our perspective on earthly treasures? And that's why I've called this section the poverty of wealth, because isn't that what James highlights in our passage right the way through? Look, look with me at verse 2. James says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. It's almost like James takes us to the very passage we were looking at this morning on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, we heard this morning from Phil, explains the very same thing. What good is it to invest your life, to find your identity in, and to work towards having everything here on earth only for in time it to erode, it to rot, it to be stolen by others, and it to be wasted away. It's the poverty of wealth. What is valuable now, what is beautiful now, what is desirable now, what is expensive now, will not be any of those things in the light of eternity. All of those things will be, like James says, a mist that appears and then vanishes. And that is scientifically what's going on around us. It's the second law of thermodynamics that tells us that everything in our universe is losing energy. It is slowly decaying. Everything here on earth, it will not be for eternity. Eternity shows us the poverty of wealth. What good is our wealth and our possessions when one day, James says, the Lord will come and we will encounter Jesus. And Jesus in his life warned over and over and over and over again about the uselessness of wealth when it comes to eternity. Jesus, you'll know in the Bible, he records that encounter that he has with the rich young man who, encountered, who had everything in life. And after that encounter with the rich young man, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Our riches, our treasures, our wealth, they, they mean nothing in the perspective of eternity, when we stand before the king of everything one day, what will, our, what will our possessions mean? Nothing. And this evening, if we really struggle making a God out of money, of chasing and pursuing earthly treasures, of wanting to be rich more than anything maybe, then know what the emperor Charlemagne figured out. What good is it to gain the whole world? What good is it if you could gain the whole world, if that was actually possible? If you could have everything here on earth, if you could be richer than Bezos and Gates, what good is it if you had all of that, and yet when you got to eternity and stood before the Lord, it meant nothing, and you forfeited your very soul? One day we will see the poverty of our wealth 
And if we build our lives on it, if we find our identity on what we have, we will lose everything that in our lives we try to gain. And so where does that leave us this evening? Where does that leave us? What does that mean for us going into this week? What can we do if we feel like our focus is more on the treasures that we find here and now than on what's to come? Well, do you know, I think the way that James points us on this eternal perspective, on the Lord's coming, on knowing that we stand before Jesus one day, on knowing that our life now is like a mist that appears and then vanishes, it really helps us when it comes to this. In just a few ways. Firstly, because it saves us from thinking that we're going to miss out on something. You know, I was helped by what Phil said this morning in saying that we are naturally treasure storers. That was the word, wasn't it? Treasure storers. I like that. And part of the reason why we obsess about having everything now about storing up treasures for ourselves, whatever they may be to us this evening, is because we believe we need to have everything now. If we think that this is all life is, these 70 to 80 years and then that's it, then of course, logically speaking, that is the direction we're going to go. We are going to feel like we need to have everything now because if we don't, we're going to miss out. And yet this eternal perspective, it liberates us this evening. It frees us to be able to say, I am never going to miss out on anything. It's why Jesus tells us to to store our treasures up in heaven, as we heard this morning. Because that is going to be the thing that lasts It's not concerning ourselves with what we're going to miss out on now, but looking on all we're going to have in the future. And as a Christian this evening, the amazing truth is I can never miss out. I can never miss out because the best for a Christian is always yet to come. I'm never going to miss out on anything. No matter what I leave Here, whatever I miss out here on earth, I'm never going to miss out on anything truly because the best is always yet to come. And eternity, an eternal perspective helps me on this, but eternity also helps me to see that I'm never going to lose out on anything either. I'm never going to lose out on anything either. And it comes back to exactly what we heard this morning. I love that God is speaking to us clearly on this because it tells me that the greatest treasure I could have is not a possession, it is a person. Eternity helps me because it tells me it's not about me. Eternity is not about us. It is about Jesus. He is the center of it all. Eternity is all about him. Where we spend eternity is based on what we make about him and what we believe about what he's done for us. But you know this, when I look to him, when I look to Jesus, he is everything my soul could ever want. And this isn't a con. You know, people say if, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. No, this isn't that. It is what it is. 
Jesus is the greatest treasure we could ever have. And if I could illustrate it by the Apostle Paul this evening. The Apostle Paul, do you know, he could sit in a jail cell. He could sit having nothing. He could sit in a jail cell not knowing whether he would make it past tomorrow being executed for following Jesus. And yet he could write in a letter to the Philippians these incredible words. Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9, Paul says this in those circumstances. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It might be this evening we're watching this and we think that knowing Jesus, following Jesus means losing out. And it might be that we do on some things, but on this eternal perspective, actually, we can't say that. We might genuinely doubt the capacity for Jesus to truly satisfy us, to truly be the treasure for our souls that we desperately long for and we're desperately trying to find in lots of different places. And yet that is the biggest lie we could ever tell ourselves. In Christ, we have peace with the one who made us. We have forgiveness of all of our failure. We have comfort in all of our sorrows. We have love and acceptance in an abundance. We have life in all of its fullness. We have joy in our deepest hearts and a fearlessness in the face of death that simply becomes a doorway into eternity where we will spend the rest of our lives in the presence of Jesus himself, where every tear that we have ever cried, he will wipe away and the brokenness we experience all around us will be fully and finally removed. How could we say this evening that we lose out when we come to Christ? That is the impact that an eternal perspective here and now has on us, on our earthly treasures that we are so tempted to move towards. And might I end with just a few practical ways that we could help do that? You know, the main reason that I often fall into seeking after earthly treasures in, in not pursuing Christ and looking into eternity is I fall because I forget that's the main reason I often find myself I fall because I'm a forgetful person. I'm so quick to forget all that's ahead. I'm so quick to forget this is who Jesus is. If only I could remember all these things and have at the forefront of my mind all of these things that we've looked at this evening, during my day tomorrow, during the week. And I was thinking, how could we do that? And one thing I was thinking was maybe we could even use, one practical thing is, is for our passwords. And we could use the first letter of each word of Mark 8.36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? 
as, as our password, maybe for our bank account that we have. And then I thought then again, that might not be such a good idea because we'd all have the same passwords and that wouldn't be very good at all, would it? But it says something along those lines, right? Even if it's reminding ourselves, when we feel like the pursuit of, of wealth is grabbing our hearts, maybe it's asking ourselves the question when we're looking at whatever it is, can I take it to heaven? Or even this question, will it make it to heaven? I found that helpful. Or might it be just starting tomorrow, picking up our Bibles and reading just the first three verses, three verses of Philippians, that book that I quoted from the Apostle Paul, each and every day reminding ourselves of the greatness and the treasure that Christ is to us. That Christ is incomparable to any treasure we might want. Or maybe wake up this morning, maybe enjoy your shower by playing some music in the car, in the train, whatever it is. Songs that pull out the same truth. We heard this morning, Christ our treasure by sovereign grace. What a beautiful song. I love the hymn that I was reminded of when I was preparing this, which is called Give Me Jesus. And it has, it's a very old hymn, but it has a very simple and a very profound chorus which says, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus, you can have all the world. Just give me Jesus. And let our hearts not fall by forgetting that eternal, that Christ-focused perspective of where true treasure is to be found. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a treasure that our hearts are truly satisfied by. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you offer everything that our hearts and our minds could ever entertain and more. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times that we are dragged and we're enticed by other treasures. We think that other things are going to satisfy us and we actually invest more in what isn't going to make into eternity than actually what is. Lord Jesus, would you help us have this eternal perspective in our minds, knowing that you, Lord Jesus, is what is going to remain for all eternity, and that everything that we have here on earth, it will waste away. It won't make it into eternity. Help us to have this mindset. Help us to remember this, Lord Jesus, and help us to have our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you have done absolutely everything that is needed to be done in order that we can be there in eternity with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to give our lives to you and surrender everything in our lives that we might say like the Apostle Paul, I consider everything as garbage because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Oh, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to listen to a song of reflection. And we're actually, this song comes from what Phil ended his talk with. I heard it, the, the song, the hymn that he quoted, which said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will look strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What a beautiful hymn. Let's reflect on that together. Let's stay seated and reflect on that here at 181.